Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Dr. Katina Sawyer, and welcome to Thriving at Work, a Worker Being podcast. You can learn more about us on our website, workerbeing.com, or on social media, or you can support our community. We've actually made some changes recently to our community. We're on Patreon now, um, where we have some bonus episodes. We also have bonus episodes, same content on Apple subscriptions. So find us in both places. If you want more than just the episodes, Patreons, where to go. If you just want more episodes, Apple's a great place to start. So today, Katina, what are we going to be talking about? So today we are going to be talking about recovery, which is a topic that we've spoken about before on the podcast and also on the blog. And we've presented about this topic before in organizations, but we're going to be talking about a specific type of recovery and for specific type of person, leaders. Um, And leader recovery actually, as it turns out, has some interesting and maybe unexpected and important to remember consequences for followers that we're going to talk about. Um, So that's the topic that we're going to be discussing. And my question before we get started is, have you ever had a leader who role modeled the importance of recovery at the end of the day? Ooh, It's a great question. So I kind of have two examples, um, which is probably rare. I had, well, I've actually had a decent string of, of leaders that I reported to directly. And some of them are better at modeling it than others. Most of them generally encouraged recovery from their teams. They didn't always model it perfectly. Um, But I would say that one of my leaders years ago, she was very good at like living life. Like like Mm -hmm. her life was life. There was stuff going on all the time and she would go and, you know, take care of what she wanted to do. And she managed to fit like a million things into her days. And I was always in awe of it. But then I realized that, oh, she's like truly setting boundaries and taking recovery time for things that she thinks is important and she just makes mm-hmm. her feel good. Um, so I would say that leader is probably the one that I would say did a good job modeling it for the most part. I mean, there's obviously always situations where there's a lot going on and maybe you can't perfectly model it, but I would say mostly she did a good job and just say shout out to Jill. Woohoo. Yay. <laughs> Yay, Jill. Jill is used as an example of like how to be a great leader so many times. I feel like we should like (laughs) do a bonus episode with Jill just with her saying like, here's how to be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I think that would probably be a good idea. I know we talked to her before on the show like forever ago. Yes. Um, but yeah, it might be fun to have her on as a bonus on a bonus episode, just like super casual conversation with her. She is amazing. Great leader. A uh, great person, just so fun. Ugh, she's the best. Yes, we'll just like force her to be not modest, <laughs> and she'll have to come on and speak about herself. Or we'll just ambush her and be like, "Surprise! <laughs> you're here to talk about how you're great." Go. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You're right though with the modesty thing. I don't know if she'll be um, super aligned with how we see her, but you know, um, I think that she. Definitely has some tips that she could share. Yeah. What about you? Have you had a leader, you know, in any of your roles that has modeled it? I feel like in academia, no one models this well. <laughs> yeah, I was actually thinking about that. And um, I think that 
a lot of the people who have role model disconnecting um, do it in a way that kind of makes you feel like they shouldn't be doing like it's oh it comes with a caveat of like yeah I did this yesterday but don't tell anyone or whatever and you're like no or like uh someone uh that I used to work with told me that she brought up once that she was in a book club and it wasn't in my department but in a different department that the chair was like don't ever tell anyone you're in a book club like people will be wondering like why <laughs> you're not like using that time for other things. So I think that that's true, but I will say um, I had two department chairs ago. I did have a department chair who he and his wife, they were empty nesters. Their kids were grown and whatnot, but um, they definitely went out during the week and had fun together and you would like find them like in a restaurant or in a bar, like on a Tuesday, just like hanging out, having fun. And like, if you saw them, they would like invite you to come sit with them and talk and whatever. And you got the sense that they had a life, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't, mm -hmm. um, it would not be taboo to tell them that you had done something other than work. And I feel like that caught like that that created like a good environment, I think, in a variety of ways, because you felt like you could be real with them about what you were doing. And and my department now is very much that way, too. But when I was thinking about um, like a specific person who I felt, oh, I've seen this person around and they have fun. And if that was me doing that, they would be like, good for you. Like, that's awesome. I'm glad you did that. I feel like he and his wife who were both in our department um, were good role models in that way. So um, I would say just, we, we also lived in the same town so that I mm -hmm. saw them like um, <laughs> frequently um, in the yeah. same place that I usually was. So that was also maybe a unique scenario, but yeah. in any event um, they were, they were good for that. Well, that's nice. Yeah. I mean, I think it is rare in academia. I feel like you hear all those horror stories of like, God forbid you read a book that is not about your research. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yes. the, yeah, it's wild. Uh, so I'm glad to see that there's some people out there that are doing a better job than others. Um, yeah. And from what I, what you told me about your department today, it sounds like there's some better approaches to things than maybe other departments that you've been in. Yeah, definitely. I think so. So I think there are some role models out there, but I think no matter what your industry, there's this like, badge of not recovering and I think also for leaders and what we're going to be talking about today there's this like particular inclination to be like to act like you never take off or you have to wear this like badge that's you know this badge of honor that you're harder working and less leisurely than other people because if you're not doing that then like you're no better than anyone or you don't deserve your position or something. You know what I mean? Like there's some mm -hmm. kind of uh, an expectation that leaders even have for themselves. I think that's sort of baked into the way that we envision leadership that can become problematic. I completely agree. I feel like there's a lot of that and the situations where I've had leaders that I thought were generally good leaders, but didn't necessarily practice, um, recovery well were ones that 
would make comments like, well, I put this on myself. Like, you don't have to work these kinds of hours, but like, I might. I'll try to make Mm -hmm. sure that you don't, you know, I don't interrupt you with emails and messages after hours. But like, that's not really setting a good example, right? Right. Like that's saying that, okay, well, if you want to be in this position, you are probably going to have to work like this. It's okay. And even if someone says it's okay for you not to work those hours, and even if you trust that person, take them for their word, you tend to still start shifting your hours and your way of functioning to what they do a bit, um, even if you don't mean to. And I've had a couple people do that. Like I've had a few leaders that are like, you know, this is something that I've done to myself or like in this role, I have to do X, Y, Z. But like, please, if I send you an email after 8 p.m., like don't respond. I'm just doing it because I have to work at that time. And it's like, well, right. You don't have to do that. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think exactly what you're bringing up is very aligned with some of the takeaways um, from the article today. So there are three things that I want people to take away from today's episode. And the first is that leader recovery is not only possible, but it's positive. Um, And I'm going to talk to you about what this study defines as recovery. This is the night before work, pleasurable recovery. So I'm going to talk to you about what that is. And that I'm just going to tee up to say that it has positive impacts. (laughs) Good. Um, The other thing that I'm going to talk about is how it has positive impacts. And as a preview of that, it has to do with emotions that you feel and that others feel that boost things that people care about at work um, for the bottom line and for innovation. And the third thing is that it actually matters more for the people who you who you would think it might matter less to. A lot of cryptic stuff in your takeaways. Like what? I know. <laughs> who I know. To? <laughs> I'm You're really, just going to leave us hanging here. <laughs> yes. I'm really creating a, a an error of mystery around this article. Um, but hopefully I can clear up, clear up the mystery. Um, I really like that one of the outcomes, though, that you mentioned is innovation. Like, that's yeah. something that people talk about a lot. So I think it's really cool that we're going to be talking about recovery and innovation because, I mean, I think intuitively from what you and I know from the research, what we've talked about before, recovery obviously would help with innovation. You need to be somewhat rested to, like, be creative and think of new ideas and new ways to do things. But people don't always connect the dots to that. So I'm excited that that's part of this. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think it's a really cool article. It's kind of straightforward, but also there's mystery, as I have hinted. So um, <laughs> so uh, let's start with this idea of pleasurable recovery activities. So they're focused here, and we've talked about um, on the podcast before, different ways that people can recover at the end of the day. This is specifically focused on things that happen outside of the work domain, leisure activities that bring happiness to the individual, and that can be a wide range of activities that both make you feel happy, but also help you decrease your stress. So there are examples of that, like 
watching a favorite TV program, which we know has to do with relaxation, but also hanging out with friends. And they're not super, um, like, prescriptive in this mm -hmm. article about what you need to do. It's more important that you define the activity that you did as something that brings you joy. Got it. So it's very dependent on the individual and what they like to do and how they feel about things. And I'm even thinking like, I, for example, love to read fiction and rarely have a ton of time for it. But when I get to sit down and like read a book and like really get into it, it just, I'm so happy. But then I'm also like super disconnected from anything else because my mind is fully absorbed in the book, right? I'm reading it. I'm imagining things. So like my, my brain is like so focused on that yeah. um, that I feel like it's super relaxing too in that way. So I think like for me, that might be one of the things that would be, a, I forgot what you called it, pleasurable. Yeah. Something that brings you recovery. joy. Yeah. Um, so I think that makes sense. But then somebody else like my husband Danny hates reading he like will listen to audiobooks all day but he's not like a sitting with a book visually reading it um and he would pick something very different so it kind of will depend on an individual person as to what that activity might be or what those activities might be there's probably more than one exactly so they don't really define or tell you like do this activity because of that individual variability so they're not going to say like this is what you need to do in order to experience this because that varies a lot according to person. So if you're a leader and you're like, tell me what to do, we can't tell you specifically what will do that, but you should do some soul searching around what brings you joy. And I think something that's important is to consider whether or not the things that you instinctively say bring you joy are things that you think other people want to hear or that other people expect will bring you joy, or if there's something that when you're doing it, you're really like, I am so happy right now. Whatever the thing is that you genuinely feel makes you happy is the thing that will work in the way that we're saying it will work. If it's not really something that brings you joy, if it's just something you're trying to check a box or you heard that you should do it or whatever, any of that is not going to have the impact that I'm going to talk about. So um, you really have to be honest with yourself too is part of the process that it can't just be something that you saw as a trend that you're trying to follow, but something you know in your heart you really like. Totally fair. Makes sense. So tell us more. What's next? Yes. Okay. So when leaders engage in these pleasurable recovery activities, and this study was interesting because it took um, data from both leaders and followers. Um, and so you have the perspective of both the leader themselves saying whether or not they engaged in these recovery activities the night before. So they go into work and they take a survey that asks them, did you do something the night before that gave you joy? And then they also ask their followers the extent to which they displayed positive emotions. And they ask the follower later in the day, the extent to which they felt positive emotions. Um, and so uh, what, what's happening in this process is when you come into work the night before you've done an activity that brings you joy, what this article suggests is that you come in happier, 
emotionally happier. And it's not just that you feel happier, it's that other people notice that you're happier. So if you do huh. this recovery activity, compared to days when you don't do this recovery activity, other people notice that you seem happier. That's which I think so is fascinating. Yeah, I do too. And now I like, <laughs> I'm just wondering about how I come off after I read my books, you know, like yeah. when I have a night where I've like read a book or like, um, I just finished a book, uh, two nights ago, maybe. And like, I'm just curious, like after that, did I come to work and like, did people notice? I mean, they're not going to necessarily say anything, but I'm, I am very curious about that. That is so interesting that other people notice it. I mean, I could see that you probably carry yourself differently. You've got like slightly different a way of approaching things that day, maybe smiling more readily, things like that. Yeah. Uh, but that's so interesting. People notice. Yeah. And the way that they explain it, and we've discussed this before, but the way that they explain it is that, you know, you might be lacking some resources. You're kind of burnout from work. You're, you know, your gas tanks running on low and you go home, you do this activity that replenishes you and then it refills the tank so that the next day, compared to days that you don't refill the tank, other people notice, like, hey, the tank's been refilled. And uh, it actually <laughs> makes a difference in terms of how other people see you. So that's um, interesting. So in the night before, if I do a recovery activity that brings me joy, the next morning, my followers will view me as being more positively emotionally oriented. And then later in the day, if I ask them, Hey, how do you feel? They report feeling happier if they perceive me as being happier as the leader. So followers get happier when they see their leader being happier. So it sort of is contagious. Um, it spreads throughout the organization and in alignment with them feeling happier, they end up doing better. So leaders actually rate the followers as having higher performance and followers rate themselves as engaging in more what they're calling creative behavior, but it aligns with what people are looking for in terms of innovation in the workplace. So things like looking for new technologies, trying to think of new processes, trying to come up with new products, trying to think of new techniques for doing things. Um, all of those things are part of innovative and creative behaviors. So when people feel happier, they put more effort into their work and the leader is noticing. So this leader is taking a survey in the morning saying, yeah, I did something last night that made me happier. And then at the end of the day, they're being asked to rate their followers' performance. And the followers are being asked to rate their leader's um, emotions in the morning, their own emotions in the middle of the day, and then their creative behaviors at the end of the day. And the leader's pleasurable recovery activity is related to all of that stuff. More of their own positive emotions, more followers' positive emotions, higher performance ratings, and higher creative behavior. So there's a couple things I want to unpack here. I mean, it could be that the leader's in a better mood and that's why they're rating people higher. I don't know how they can, do they control for that in any way? Yeah, they actually did, um, which is super interesting. Yes, they did control for that. 
Um, they controlled for the leaders' midday positive affect at the same time as they rated the followers' midday positive affect. Um, they also um, controlled for the leaders' sleep quantity and quality to make sure that it was actually that activity that they took part in and not some other thing about what they did the night before. So they ruled that out as well. Okay. So they... If they control for the sleep piece, and that means it's not like, oh, I'm just well-rested and therefore I'm functioning better mm-hmm. and maybe making an impact on my team that way. So that's good. And yep. the second piece that you said, they're controlling for their positive m- emotion, basically. And yep. if that's the case, then, you know, if we're removing the effect of I'm in a good mood, so I'm just nicer to my team and rating them I'm higher. just going to say everyone performs well. Right. Exactly. exactly. So we're taking that out. We're taking that noise out and we're still seeing that performance is rated higher. And that theoretically indicates that their performance is actually higher on those days um, than compared to the days where the leader was not in a positive mood. Yeah. And there's always, you know, stuff that you could control for other explanations, but they did take those two things into account. And then they also, um, took into account the work demands that the followers were experiencing. So they controlled for Mm. the extent to which they felt like their day was particularly demanding to make sure that it wasn't just that they were experiencing maybe when the leader is in more of a relaxation mode, they just assign them less stuff or something like that. Right. Um, So they also took that into account, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Well, that's really good. I'm glad to hear that they took all that into account because I think it's important and they're all like, Things that people could easily just like poke at and be like, well, what about this? What about that? Like, yes. is this really true? Or are these leaders just being way too easy on employees? And, you know, there's there are people out there that are going to say that. So yeah. I'm glad they took that into account because now it's like, well, actually, no, it's truly this like cyclical impact of like good experience for the leader coming in positive, people feeling positive because of that. And now everyone's doing better, um, both performance wise, innovation wise. They're all doing more, doing better than they were if the leader did not come in with that same positive mood based on the work, the recovery the night before. So that's exactly. really, really helpful that they did that. I love it. I think it's great. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Funny. Yeah. So I think it's super interesting because I think a lot of times leaders assume that recovery is at best for other people, right? So they're like, well, I hope my team has time to recover, but I'm the leader, so I don't have time to do that. But what actually is being missed in there is that your team will do better if you do it, right? Um, You have an actual responsibility to your team to help them perform better and do their best by taking time for yourself, which I think is probably helpful for leaders who might think of recovery time as selfish or distracting from the point of their job, which is to get their team to be able to produce the highest quality product. And what this is saying is that's not selfish time. That's actually really well-spent time that um, folks can benefit from. And it's a service to your team to make sure that you're recovering. So I really like that takeaway. Um, And there's one more thing that I was mysterious about that makes it even more interesting moving forward as well. (laughs) Okay. What's the one more mysterious thing? Yes. So the mysterious thing is that 
And it's not mysterious when you really think about it, but I'm making it mysterious. <laughs> um, so the person or people who your recovery matters to the most are the people who have not taken time to recover themselves the night before. So oh. follower recovery, they took into account. So they also asked the followers in the morning, how much did you recover last night after work? And for people who said, I really didn't, I didn't take time to disconnect. I'm feeling still really, you know, connected to my work. Um, I don't feel like I had the time to really unwind or do something that brought me joy. The people that come into work the next morning saying that are the people who have the biggest room for improvement from the leader's positive emotions and positive displays. And so that becomes even catchier to those people. And so the boost that they experience is even higher than people who had the opportunity to recover. And the difference or like the delta in their performance and their creative behavior is even larger. So this matters mm. the most for people who didn't have the opportunity to do the same thing that you did. So not only are you helping your team when you recover, but you're also helping the most people who are the most burnt out and tired, which I think might be counterintuitive to what some people would think. I do think that's a little counterintuitive until I started thinking about it as you were talking. And the thing that resonates with me is when you're really feeling tired and burnt out, I feel like you catch the negative emotions way yeah. faster. So yeah. it's almost like if someone else, if your leader comes in and they're kind of grumpy or, you know, not super positive, not happy, then you're just going to be like, uh, I'm down too. They're down. We're mm -hmm. all kind of in this mushy mode. Um, but if they were happy, <laughs> I think you're more likely to kind of pick up on it in a, because you're just too tired to like have any regulation in yeah. your emotions. And so you're kind of more of a sponge of what's around you than yeah. when you yourself are rested where you can be a little more resilient against a negative emotion. So I think it makes some sense uh, from that perspective. And I think it's important though, because now as a leader, like it's like you were saying, it's so easy to be like, well, like I have so many things to do. I want to protect my team from all of this extra work. So I might do it or whatever the case might be. But actually, if any of them are tired, you're just going to keep making it worse and worse when you can just take a few minutes to take care of yourself and then help them too. Obviously, you want them to recover as well. But if they can't, if there's something else going on um, that's substantial, you better take care of yourself to make sure you can take care of them. It reminds me of like the parenting or like the mom thing that people say, like, you know, like you can't really be a good mom if you don't take care of yourself. Yeah. Like it's yep. a similar kind of concept, I feel like. I agree. And I like mushy mode. Leads you to be in sponge mode. <laughs> the mushy people are the sponges. Yes, um, it's true. So, but I think I think that that's correct, which is that you're more likely to focus on the negative if you're in a negative space. So, shifting the people who are more likely to focus on that into a more positive headspace has a bigger payoff than trying to shift people who are already in a more positive headspace into an even more positive headspace, right? So um, I think that uh, that's, that's dead on. So basically, I think the takeaway here and something that I really want to impress upon people because I think it's important is that if you think that as a leader, 
your recovery time is even more of a luxury than your team, you're actually doing your team a disservice and potentially harming their ability to perform and to think of new and interesting ideas and set your team up for more success if you're not taking time after work to do something that really brings you joy and that identifying what that thing is. Because I think also over the course of our lives, we get disconnected from what those things even could be because we just get mm -hmm. stuck in the race of everything that we don't always even understand what that looks like. So I think reconnecting with what brings you joy, getting a little bit of that each day and recognizing that that's actually an act that's helping other people, if that's what helps to justify for you why you should do it, is maybe a useful message that people need to hear. I love it. Yeah, I think it's a really good point to take the moment and figure out what it is or test different things that actually to see what brings you joy. Like maybe what brought you joy like 10 years ago is different than what bring you joy today, but you don't really know because you've been so bogged down in work and, and, you mm -hmm. know, life stuff that comes up that you just don't even know anymore. Um, I think that's a really great point to take that, that moment in time to really think through it, figure out what you like, what's making you happy. And then using that time to take care of yourself so you can take care of your teams. Yeah, absolutely. So I hope this is helpful for anyone who's listening who struggles with justifying to themselves why they should take time. At the very least, do it for other people. At the, at the best, you know, you, you should do it just because it's important for you. But if you have trouble with that, know that it's actually helping others as well. Agreed. Well, thank you so much for sharing this article. I think it was super helpful, very interesting, and I can see... Um, and having a big impact on leaders. Like I hope leaders listening, take it to heart and do something about it. Me too. And I appreciate you listening to it. And I hope everyone learned something useful. Yes. Thank you all for listening. Again, if you want to find us or learn more about us, you can find us on our website, workerbeing.com, find us on social or join our community at workerbeing.com slash community. Thanks for listening. Thriving at Work is hosted by us, Dr. Patricia Grabarek and Dr. Katina Sawyer, and produced by Allie Johnson. Mm -hmm.